Chapter Twelve of Miss Marchbanks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Crandall. Miss Marchbanks by Mrs. Oliphant. Chapter Twelve. The second of her Thursday evenings found Miss Marchbanks, though secure, perhaps more anxious than on the former occasion. The charm of the first novelty was gone and Lucilla did not feel quite sure that her subjects had the good sense to recognize all the benefits which she was going to confer upon them. "'It is the second time that counts,' she said in confidence to Mrs. Chiley. Last Thursday they wanted to see the drawing-room, and they wanted to know what sort of thing it was to be. "'Dear Mrs. Chiley, it is to-night that is the test,' said Lucilla, giving a nervous pressure to her old friend's hand at least a pressure that would have betokened the existence of nerves in any one else but Miss Marchbanks, whose magnificent organization was beyond any suspicion of such weakness. But nevertheless, Mrs. Chiley, who watched her with grandmotherly interest, was comforted to perceive that Lucilla, as on the former occasion, had strength of mind to eat her dinner. "'She wants a little support, poor dear,' the old lady said in her heart, for she was a kinder critic than the younger matrons, who felt instinctively that Miss Marchbanks was doing what they ought to have done. She took her favourite's arm in hers, as they went upstairs, and gave Mr. Cavendish a kindly nod as he opened the door for them. "'He will come and give you his assistance as soon as ever he can get away from the gentleman,' said Mrs. Chiley in her consolatory tone. "'But good gracious, Lucilla, what is the matter?' The cause of this exclamation was a universal hum, and a rustle, as of many dresses and many voices, and, to tell the truth, when Miss Marchbanks and her companion reached the top of the stairs, they found themselves lost in a laughing crowd, which had taken refuge on the landing. "'There is no room, Lucilla. Lucilla, everybody in Carlingford is here. Do make a little room for us in the drawing-room,' cried this overplus of society. If there was an enviable woman in Carlingford at that moment, it certainly was Miss Marchbanks, standing on the top of her own stairs, scarcely able to penetrate through the throng of her guests. Her self-possession did not forsake her at this supreme moment. She grasped Mrs. Chiley once again with a little significant gesture, which pleased the old lady, for she could not but feel that she was Lucilla's only confidante in her brilliant but perilous undertaking. "'They will not be able to get in when they come upstairs,' said Miss Marchbanks and whether the faint inflection in her voice meant exultation or disappointment, her old friend could not make up her mind. But the scene changed when the rightful sovereign entered the gay but disorganized dominion where her subjects attended her. Before any one knew how it was done, Miss Marchbanks had re-established order, and what was still more important, made room. She said, you girls have no business to get into corners. The corners are for the people that can talk. It is one of my principles always to flirt in the middle of the company, said Lucilla, and again, as it happened so often, ignorant people laughed and thought it a bon mot. But it is needless to inform the more intelligent persons who understand Miss Marchbanks that it was by no means a bon mot, but expressed Lucilla's convictions with the utmost sincerity. Thus it happened that the second Thursday was more brilliant and infinitely more gratifying than the first had been. For one thing, she felt sure that it was not to see the new furniture, nor to criticize this new sort of entertainment, but with the sincerest intention of enjoying themselves that all the people had come. 
and there are moments when the egotism of the public conveys the highest compliment that can be paid to the great minds which take in hand to rule and to amuse it the only drawback was that barbara lake did not show the same modesty and reticence as on the former occasion far from being sensibly silent which she had been so prudent as to be on miss marchbanks's first thursday she forgot herself so far as to occupy a great deal of mr cavendish's valuable time which she might have employed much more usefully she not only sang by herself when he asked her having brought some music with her unseen by lucilla but she kept sitting upon the stool before the piano ever so long afterwards detaining him and as miss marchbanks had very little doubt making an exhibition of herself for the fact was that barbara having received one good gift from nature had been refused the other and could not talk when lucilla arrested in the midst of her many occupations heard her protege's voice rising alone she stopped quite short with an anxiety which it was touching to behold it was not the jealousy of a rival cantatrice which inspired miss marchbanks's countenance but the far broader and grander anxiety of an accomplished statesman who sees a rash and untrained hand meddling with his most delicate machinery lucilla ignored everything for the moment her own voice and mr cavendish's attentions and every merely secondary and personal emotion all these details were swallowed up in the fear that barbara would not acquit herself as it was necessary for the credit of the house that she should acquit herself that she should not sing well enough or that she should sing too much once more miss marchbanks put her finger upon the pulse of the community as she and they listened together fortunately things went so far well that barbara sang her very best and kept up her prestige but it was different in the second particular for unluckily the contralto knew a great many songs and showed no inclination to stop nothing remained for it but a bold coup which lucilla executed with all her natural coolness and talent my dear barbara she said putting her hands on the singer's shoulders as she finished her strain that is enough for to-night mr cavendish will take you downstairs and get you a cup of tea for you know there is no room to-night to serve it upstairs thus miss marchbanks proved herself capable of preferring her great work to her personal sentiments which is generally considered next to impossible for a woman she did what perhaps nobody else in the room was capable of doing she sent away the gentleman who was paying attention to her in company with the girl who was paying attention to him and at that moment as was usual when she was excited barbara was splendid with her crimson cheeks and the eyes blazing out from under her level eyebrows this miss marchbanks did not in ignorance but with a perfect sense of what she was about it was the only way of preventing her evening from losing its distinctive character it was the lamp of sacrifice which lucilla had now to employ and she proved herself capable of the exertion but it would be hopeless to attempt to describe the indignation of old mrs chiley or the unmitigated amazement of the company in general which was conscious at the same time that mr cavendish was paying attention to miss marchbanks and that he had been flirting in an inexcusable manner with miss lake my dear i would have nothing to do with that bold girl mrs chiley said in lucilla's ear i will go down and look after them if you like a girl like that always leads the gentleman astray you know i never liked the looks of her let me go downstairs and look after them my dear i am sure i want a cup of tea you shall have a cup of tea dear mrs chiley said miss marchbanks 
Some of them will bring you one, but I can't let you take any trouble about Barbara. She had to be stopped, you know, or she would have turned us into a musical party. And as for Mr. Cavendish, he is the best assistant I have. There are so few men in Carlingford who can flirt, said Lucilla regretfully. Her eyes fell, as she spoke, upon young Osmond Brown, who was actually at that moment talking to Mr. Bury's curate, with a disregard of his social duties painful to contemplate. Poor Osmond started when he met Miss Marchbanks's reproachful eye. "'But then I don't know how,' said the disconcerted youth, and he blushed, poor boy, being only eighteen, and not much more than a schoolboy. As for Lucilla, who had no intention of putting up with that sort of thing, she sent off the curate summarily for Mrs. Chiley's cup of tea. "'I did not mean you, my dear Ozzie,' she said, in her motherly tone. "'When you are a little older, we shall see what you can do. But you are not at all disagreeable for a boy,' she added encouragingly, and took Osmond's arm as she made her progress down the room, with an indulgence worthy of her maturer years. And even Mrs. Sentum and Mrs. Woodburn, and the Miss Browns, who were, in a manner, Lucilla's natural rivals, could not but be impressed with this evidence of her powers. They were like the Tuscan chivalry in the ballad, who could scarce forbear a cheer at the sight of their opponent's prowess. Perhaps nothing that she could have done would have so clearly demonstrated the superiority of her genius to her female audience as that bold step of stopping the music, which began to be too much, by sending off the singer downstairs under charge of Mr. Cavendish. To be sure, the men did not even find out what it was that awoke the lady's attention. But then, in delicate matters of social politics, one never expects to be understood by them. Barbara Lake, as was to be expected, took a very long time over her cup of tea, and even when she returned upstairs, she made another pause on the landing, which was still kept possession of by a lively stream of young people coming and going. Barbara had very little experience and she was weak enough to believe that Mr. Cavendish lingered there to have a little more of her society all to himself. But to tell the truth, his sentiments were of a very different description. For by this time it must be owned that Barbara's admirer began to feel a little ashamed of himself. He could not but be conscious of Lucilla's magnanimity, and at the same time he was very well aware that his return with his present companion would be watched and noted and made the subject of comment a great deal more amusing than agreeable. When he did take Barbara in at last, it was with a discomfited air which tickled the spectators beyond measure, and, as his evil luck would have it, notwithstanding the long pause he had made on the landing to watch his opportunity of entering unobserved, Miss Marchbanks was the first to encounter the returning couple. They met full in the face, a few paces from the door, exactly as Miss Chiley said, as if it had been Mr. and Mrs. Cavendish on their wedding visit, and the lady of the house had gone to meet them. As for the unfortunate gentleman, he could not have looked more utterly disconcerted and guilty if he had been convicted of putting the spoons in his pocket, or of having designs upon the silver tea service. He found a seat for his companion with all the haste possible, and instead of lingering by her side, as she had anticipated, made off on the instant, and hid himself like a criminal in the dark depths of a group of men, who were talking together near the door. These were men who were hopeless, and good for nothing but to talk to each other, and whom Miss Marchbanks tolerated in her drawing-room, partly because their wives, with an excusable weakness, insisted on bringing them, 
and partly because they made a foil to the brighter part of the company, and served as a butt when anybody wanted to be witty. As for Lucilla, she made no effort to recall the truant from the ranks of the incurables. It was the only vengeance she took upon his desertion. When he came to take leave of her, she was standing with her hand in that of Mrs. Chiley, who was also going away. "'I confess, I was a little nervous this evening,' Miss Marchbanks was saying. "'You know it is always the second that is the test. "'But I think on the whole it has gone off very well. "'Mr. Cavendish, you promised to tell me the truth, "'for you know I have great confidence in your judgment. "'Tell me sincerely, do you think it has been a pleasant evening?' "'Lucilla said, with a beautiful earnestness, looking him in the face. "'The guilty individual to whom this question was addressed,' felt disposed to sink into the earth, if the earth, in the shape of Mr. Holden's beautiful new carpet, would but have opened to receive him. But, after all, that was perhaps not a thing to be desired under the circumstances. Mr. Cavendish, however, was a man of resources, and not disposed to give up the contest without striking a blow in his own defence. "'Not so pleasant as last Thursday,' he said. "'I am not fit to be a lady's adviser, for I am too sincere.' but I incline to think it is the third that is the test, said the future M.P., and Lucilla made him, as Mrs. Chiley remarked, the most beautiful curtsy. But then nothing could be more delightful than the manner in which that dear girl behaved through the whole affair. If everybody would only help me as you do, said Miss Marchbanks. Good night. I am so sorry you have not enjoyed yourself. But then, it is such a consolation to meet with people that are sincere." "'And I think, on the whole, it has gone off very well for the second, said Lucilla, "'though I say it that should not say it. "'The fact was, it had gone off so well "'that the house could hardly be cleared of the amiable and satisfied guests. "'A series of the most enthusiastic compliments were paid to Lucilla "'as she stood in state in the middle of the room and bade everybody good-bye. "'Next Thursday,' she said, with the benevolent grace of an acknowledged sovereign. "'And, when they were all gone,' Miss Marchbanks's reflections, as she stood alone, in the centre of her domains, were of a nature very different from the usual reflections which the giver of a feast is supposed to make when all is over. But then, as everybody is aware, it was not a selfish desire for personal pleasure, nor any scheme of worldly ambition which moved the mind of Lucilla. With such motives it is only natural that the conclusion, all is vanity, should occur to the weary entertainer in the midst of his withered flowers and extinguished lights. Such ideas had nothing in common with the enlightened conceptions of Miss Marchbanks. Perhaps it would be false to say that she had suffered in the course of this second Thursday, or that a superior intelligence like Lucilla's could permit itself to feel any jealousy of Barbara Lake, but it would be vain to deny that she had been surprised. And any one who knows Miss Marchbanks will acknowledge that a great deal was implied in that confession. But then she had triumphed over the weakness, and triumphantly proved that her estimate of the importance of her work went far beyond the influence of mere personal feeling. In these circumstances, Lucilla could contemplate her withered flowers with perfect calmness, without any thought that all was vanity. But then the fact was, Miss Marchbanks was accomplishing a great public duty, and, at the same time, had the unspeakable consolation of knowing that she had proved herself a comfort to her dear papa. To be sure, the doctor, after looking on for a little with a half-amused consciousness that his own assistance was totally unnecessary, had gradually veered into a corner, 
and, from thence, had finally managed to escape downstairs to his beloved library. But then, the sense of security and tranquillity with which he established himself at the fire, undisturbed by the gay storm that ranged outside, gave certain charm to his retirement. He rubbed his hands and listened, as a man listens to the wind howling out of doors, when he is in shelter and comfort. So that, after all, Lucilla's sensation of having accomplished her filial duties in the most effective manner was to a certain extent justified, while at the same time it is quite certain that nobody missed Dr. Marchbanks from the pleasant assembly upstairs. End of chapter 12 Recorded by Michelle Crandall, Fremont, California, July 2009